This is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Thursday, October 19, 2023, and today will be better than yesterday. We taped earlier with Taylor. We've got Parker. We've got Sarah. Now Dan Stanzik is jumping in. It's like a bullpen game, right? Taylor was the opener. Now we have the series of reliever Stanzik. I'm surprised Taylor showed up. Normally when I get a call, Buster, Taylor's off doing God knows what. But uh, I'm here, and let me just be the first among Tampa Bay fans, among Oriole fans. Maybe I'm not the first. It's good to see that the Rangers lost a playoff game. I didn't think it was possible. I'm still (laughs) wounded from uh, the four-game sweep in Toronto uh, in mid-September that dashed my playoffs hopes for a while. Toronto thinks they rallied, but uh, of course didn't win a playoff game again. But yeah, bullpen game, I I don't know what that makes me, a middle reliever? (laughs) <laughs> I thought I was I like at least an inning leader, Buster. I thought I, I, I was like a number three starter. Well, I well we know for sure because when we taped the uh, the first segment today with Carl, it was Taylor who was here, right? So I think you're the closer. You know, I like that. Are okay. you the Mariano Rivera of the show today? The Jordan Romano might be the best way. Jordan Romano, Buster. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was interesting when when you first came on. You know, we've got you know Jordan Alvarez. You can't pitch to him. You've got uh, you know, the Phillies, maybe the most unstoppable team in baseball. And your first thing you mentioned to me is like, "What's up with the Blue Jays?" Well, you know? yeah, I'm What's selfish, Buster. Jays? Come on, come on. <laughs> so we'll, we'll we'll get to that at the end, if you don't mind. When we have Blazers, that's tweet. fine. The Rangers lost the playoff game. I'm I'm excited for for plenty of fans out there. All right. Well, last night here in Arlington, the Astros. We're facing Max Scherzer, who could not land his slider. First pitch out of the gate was 95 miles per hour. He had a good curveball, but his slider was a mess. Here was what happened in the top of the second inning. The next pitch coming, and that bounces away. Alvarez coming home, and he is going to score the first run of the game. Jonah Heim blasts himself. He bounces the baseball hard off the ground. Scherzer threw a slider in the dirt, and Heim couldn't keep it close enough. It traveled about 35 feet to his right, and Alvarez scores the first run of the game. So that wild pitch gave the Astros a 1-0 lead. That rally continued. Tucker moves up to third, Dubon to second. Next pitch, Maldonado hits one past the glove of Young. And both Astros are going to come in, and both are going to score. Maldonado to second, and he's thrown out. Jose Altuve, incredibly is within range of becoming the all-time leader in postseason home runs. This is what happened in the top of the third. Scherzer, the 1-2, and Altuve drives this one deeper to left. Going back, Carter still going back, and Altuve has left the yard. A home run for Jose. He missed the first at bat by a foot, and this one went about four rows deep in left field. Houston's got a 4-0 lead. That, of course, was Carl Ravitch on ESPN Radio. Now, Josh Young uh, has suffered a terrible thumb injury during the course of the year, but he's come back, and you could just see him gaining confidence, and he looks like he's on a roll. This was uh, Josh Young, bottom of the fifth inning against Christian Javier. He stares in to get the call from Maldonado, and here comes the one-two, and Young sends this one to right center, fairly deep. Dubon back! Now, the play of the postseason, in my opinion, was made in the top of the sixth inning. Jordan Alvarez at the plate, Leote Tavares in center field. And Alvarez sends this one deep to left center field. He stood at the plate to watch it, 
And it is caught in center field. Leone Tavares robs Alvarez. It was over the wall. And he brought it back in. What a play by Tavares in center field. In the bottom of the sixth inning, you got the feeling the Rangers are starting to come back. And then this happened. Michael Brantley playing left field for the Astros. The 2-2 pitch. Swing and a drive. Left center and really deep. Garcia is watching it. Oh, what a running catch by Brantley. Right at the warning track. He reached up and did a somersault after he made the play. And that may be a game-saving catch by Michael Brantley in left field. In the top of the seventh inning, Jordan Alvarez, that guy, again. The crowd is into it. Alvarez waits. The 2-2. And this ball to center field. It's going to get down. That's going to bring in Maldonado. Following him, Altuve. Jordan Alvarez delivers two runs with a single. And the Astros are in the driver's seat, leading 7-2 in the seventh inning. With the score 7-2, the Rangers cut into that lead in the bottom of the seventh inning. Josh Young again. The next pitch, Young rifles one to center field. Young, did he do it again? Yes, he did. Josh Young, second time tonight, goes yard. And that Alvarez hit is magnified. Instead of 5-4, it's 7-4. Here was the final call in the bottom of the ninth inning. The next pitch, Young rifles one to center field. Young, did he do it again? Yes, he did. Josh Young, second time tonight, goes yard. And that Alvarez hit is magnified. Instead of 5-4, it's 7-4. Now, right after the game, I got a chance to talk with Jose Altuve. Jose, you guys put up a bunch of runs against Max Scherzer. He didn't have a slider early in the game. How did that impact your approach at the plate? Yeah, I think we were uh, looking for a piece we could drive. Uh, you know, I think we did pretty good scoring some runs early in the game. Plus, Javier giving us, you know, everything he had tonight. And uh, I think those two together gave us a win tonight. Another home run for you in the postseason. You're only four away from Manny Ramirez, the all-time postseason home run leader. What's that about? I mean, I'm not really thinking about that. Uh, I was just trying to get a piece I could hit. And, you know, not trying to hit homers or anything. I just trying to help my team to win. This one tonight was very important. We're going one game at a time, and, you know, tomorrow's another day. All right, what happens to this team when you get your backs against the wall the way you do right now? Just, uh, like I said, uh, focus on the game that day. Uh, we're still down in the series, but it doesn't matter. Tomorrow is another day. We're going to prepare ourselves, prepare ourselves the way we did it tonight and try to win another one. Describe Michael Brantley's catch from your perspective. I mean, he's an amazing player. He can hit, he can make some plays. But it was very important in the moment because they were getting some momentum to score some runs. So it was really good to stop them there. Describe what you've seen from Yoda and Alvarez right now as a hitter. <laughs> uh, best hitter in baseball right now. <laughs> That's pretty simple. Thanks, Jose. In Bruce Bochy's postgame press conference, he was asked the question, would he put Max Scherzer on the mound in a redo of that game? And I could see in Bochy's face, like he, he was confused by the question. He was surprised by the question. Give a listen to his answer. If you had to do it over again, would you do it again in light of the, how he pitched? Yeah, I'd let him do it again. Uh, you know, the any, one any had... He had, you know, good stuff there with uh, Alvarez. Uh, 2 hit him there uh, with a change up and and the walk that kind of set up the, you know that rally there and wild pitch as I mentioned. But 
Yeah, he's one of our guys. We had him ready. Uh, face hitters, we did all all we could to get him ready for this. He was ready. You saw the stuff. So, yeah, he's, he's one of our guys. So, no, there's no regret on that. Dusty Baker was asked, did he see anything different in his team in game three? We were close to winning the first two games. You know, we were one hit away. You know, we might not have won, but we were one hit away from at least tying it, tying it up or going ahead. And, uh, you know, uh, I mean, this team doesn't quit. We know that the Rangers don't quit either. And, uh, you know, it makes for, for a good series. In the Rangers clubhouse, Max Scherzer, it was in there, and he was just so quick and so direct in his answers, and he had a fairly blunt assessment of what he did on the mound. You know, in these situations, you know, look, there's some badness. I get it. But, you know, that's where you kind of got to tune out and look at the good. What was I able to do well? Look, I made some mistakes. I get it. I got punished for it. But there were some good things I also did as well. And so, you know, it's tough to take a loss in the postseason any time. But for me, you know, I'm not going to sit here and beat myself down. But still thought I did some good, th- good things and made some good pitches. And, you know, I got to focus on that and move that forward. So the Astros win game three. Game four will be later today. Uh, You've got Jose Arquiti pitching for the Houston Astros against Andrew Heaney for the Texas Rangers. Wednesday was a day off in the National League Championship Series. And Tori Labello, the Arizona Diamondbacks manager, talked about how the Phillies have been able to control the running game this series. We were very well aware of the improvements they made to control the running game. And, yeah, I, you know, I've been answering a lot of questions about what Corbin Carroll's been doing over there at first base and getting on, getting on base for the first two games uh, as the first batter and not really moving. But, yeah, there's a reason why we're not, um, and we will. We have our targets. We have our situations. And we're not going to press things and run into outs. That's, that's the most important thing. We're going to do it at the right time and do it at, at the clip we were doing it, at the successful rate we were doing it during the season. He was asked, would Zach Gallen be available to start in game four? Yeah, he's not. Um, he threw a number of pitches, uh, and we had that discussion in the dugout after a couple early runs. You know, would we clip him early? Zach is such a process-oriented guy. I wouldn't do him that that disservice. I just want to stay with what's been working really, really well for him. He would do it. I know he would do it if we asked him to. But um, we, we, we're going to need somebody for game five and six if we get to that point. You get the feeling Tori Lavelle is kind of trying to talk up his players a little bit, maybe trying to bolster their confidence. And he talked about how they're one of the final four teams left standing. I'm an eternal optimist, and I have to be. I believe enough in our team that we can go out there and compete against anybody under any circumstances. And I did make that comment that we could be playing on the moon, and I don't care. we got to go do what we do best. I respect the Philadelphia Phillies immensely, from Dave Dombrowski on down through the end of their lineup. But they can be beat, and we got to do our job just a little bit better. And we're one of the final four teams standing, and we didn't get lucky by being here. We're a good baseball team, and I think the world knows that. Brandon Fott is starting game three for the Diamondbacks against Ranger Suarez. Here's Brandon talking about how the Diamondbacks can hold their own. I think it's they're a good lineup. They're hot right now. You know, we, we went through Milwaukee's lineup. We went through the Dodgers lineup. So I think we can hold our own. And I think we, if we show that coming into our ballpark and, and limiting damage, getting the momentum on our side, is I think we can, we can come out on the, on the strong end. Phillies manager Rob Thompson talks about the good defense that his team has been playing. I told the guys at the start of the 
the series, I said, I said, you know, if we take care of the baseball defensively and don't give them free passes, you know, you, you're going to be able to kill some of the chaos that they create because they're really good at that, you know, running, bunting, taking extra bases, uh, tagging up at first base on, on fly balls, the outfield, that thing. They take advantage of mistakes, and, and you got to eliminate that. And, and I think we've done that. We've played very good, base, uh, very good defense, and we've played what? 16 postseason games and we we've walked 15 hitters so um you know we're not giving free passes knock on wood that's kind of things that stand out to me rob was asked the question what's the biggest difference between this year's phillies team and last year's phillies team well i think we got some more talent you know you had you had a couple of relievers and, and you had trey you had taiwan walker who hasn't even pitched yet you know you got 15 wins during the regular season and I think just the experience of going through it last year has, especially for the guys that have never been there before, it really helps. It really lets them settle down a little bit. They they understand what's coming and what's what's to be expected, and they can, they can sort of slow the game down a little bit better. So today's schedule, in case you weren't aware, Phillies and Diamondbacks play at 5.07 Eastern time. That is on TBS. And then you have the Rangers and Astros game four of their series on Fox at 8.03. All right, Stanzik, what else you got? Well, Buster, as you know, I do a lot of our NBA pods here, and the NBA season starts on Tuesday. So if you're not already listening to The Low Post, The Woj Pod, The Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorst, and The CJ McCollum Show, please listen now. Get ready. should be an exciting NBA season. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com Buster. Just go to Indeed.com Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All aboard. It's the Ravi Train with Carl Ravage. Carl Ravage, play-by-play man on Sunday Night Baseball during the regular season and during this round of the playoffs. He's doing play-by-play on radio. Ravi, how you doing? I'm great. Enjoying the radio with... uh... You have come in town, Buster, and uh, we have Tim and Eduardo. It's, uh, it's a whole different world, but it's an enjoyable one. I can I can tell you that I really enjoy this uh, radio. Really like it. 
Yeah. How about you? As I'm talking to you, we got we were taping a little bit earlier here, Central Time, in part because you have a tea time coming up with, <laughs> uh, with Buck Showalter and Tim Kirkchen. Okay. Two good, yeah, two good friends of mine. I mean, uh, yeah, I uh, and, and Tim, of course, you know Tim really well. Tim's like, Rabbi, I, I don't want to embarrass myself. I don't. I'm not sure we should be going. And I said, Tim, this whole thing is about being together. We we haven't been together in a setting like that in forever. And we used to do that when, you know, when Buck was working with us, we played a lot of rounds of golf together and I find him to be a, an enjoyable 18 hole guy to walk around with and, and just chat with. There's no, there's nothing nefarious about this other than I wanted to get Tim out there. You know, it hasn't been the easiest couple of uh, years here and months for Tim. So let's go, let's go and have fun. Enjoy yourself in the morning. That's what this whole thing is about. And I'm looking forward to it. We both may embarrass ourselves. That's for sure. But that's secondary. All right. So do you think there might be some baseball conversation during the 18, the 18 holes? It's, you know, there might be, but it's also one of those things where when, you know, as you know, Buck, when you're walking down a fairway or you're standing on the tee, he could observe a bird in a tree and then quickly just kind of go down that path. Or he could observe the way they mowed the fairways and bring that up. Or he could talk about the way Max Scherzer pitched last night. The beauty of Buck, as you have uh, observed, you never know what uh, highway he's going to get on with regards to his train of thought. (laughs) <laughs> I know. Well, I got to hear what, what are the handicaps? Because you played with no. Buck, I assume. I've never seen Tim on a golf course. I played basketball with him, but not not golf. What are we talking about with handicaps for That's you? And question. be honest. You, you know, don't be modest. Tell me where we are with the handicaps. Yeah, I, I only know mine, and mine is around a seven. Um, I, Tim told us, told me the other day, he, typical Tim, Ravi, I shot 48 on the front. 48! And then I shot 36 on the backside. I'm like, hey, that's that's unbelievable. Buck has already prefaced it by saying, I don't know if I'm going to get the ball airborne. Again, this is not about the golf. No one is going out here to put a score up. You are not going to hear golf scores, I don't think, on the radio tonight. It's just a way to get together. Buck suggested lunch, and I just, like, I don't want to go and just eat lunch. I, if we can get out of this hotel room for four hours and be outside like let's go do that and i just don't they don't strike me as people who want to go for a four-hour walk around the park so let's let's do something active if they could play pickleball i would have done the same thing i I must say if i was on the game broadcast i would extract the scores whatever they are you know (laughs) I, i would get the full full uh full admission and i would say this to tim if he's worried about how he shoots tony gwynn you know, the eight-time batting champ, the Hall of Famer. From what I understand, he was a regular 110-120 range. Is that but right? He loved to get out there. Right. He was, yeah. he was not a great golfer, but he absolutely loved to get out there and play. I'm looking forward to being with my buddies. That's all I care about. Yeah, well, that'll be fun. And I can't wait to hear the backstories on this. Yeah. All right. Uh, so we reached the point with Jordan Alvarez, who helped the, the Astros get back into the series last night to two to, to uh, you know it's two to one now. Texas in a best of seven series. Have we reached the point with Jordan Alvarez where Bruce Bochy today is just going to take a white flag and wave it from the dugout and say, you know what, Barry Bonds treatment, nobody on base, two outs, we're putting him on. Uh, whatever the situation is, we just are not going to pitch this guy because he's so locked in in a way that we almost never see, Carl. Yeah, I mean, if you listen to the pregame show last night, I had interviewed Chris Young, and I had asked him prior to the game, 
I think they waited too long. I said, are we going to see the treatment that Barry Bonds has gotten? Why are, and he said, well, it depends on the situation, but we are very close to doing that. If say first base is open, I don't understand. And again, going into yesterday's game, you'll remember nobody else was really hitting for them. So it didn't make any sense yesterday that they would do that. Um, and pitch to him. And now I don't see why they would ever pitch to him in game four. And it's not just righty versus lefty. He destroys lefties. And right now the baseball looks like a beach ball, you know, Ortiz, David Ortiz is in the building for Fox. He looks like Ortiz from 04. I mean, he looks like a playoff version of David Ortiz. You can't get him up. He's incredibly comfortable. He's incredibly balanced. He hits fastballs. He certainly hits sliders, never seems out of balance. Exit velocity, you know, the foul ball that he hit just before the hard single that uh, Garcia got late in that game, the foul ball was 117 miles per hour off the bat. <laughs> the fair ball was 114. So I, I think the answer to your question is yes, I would have had this, I would have had yes yesterday before game three. So it's interesting because it, in just sort of anticipating today and, and wondering what Bruce Bochy is going to do, I went back and looked at the apex of Barry Bonds being Barry Bonds. And as you know, yep. at the time, Bruce Bochy was managing the, the San Diego Padres. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I looked at how many times he was intentionally walked by the Padres versus other teams. And Carl, they actually walked him less than any other team intentionally. And we know right. interesting year, of course, uh, golfing with Buck Showalter today. He famously walked Barry Bonds. Four fingers went up. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And Boach was less inclined to do that than the other National League West managers. So I'm, I'm curious about uh, you know what he's going to do today, especially with a left-hander to start the mound. I agree with you. It doesn't matter. You know, you send out a hard throw, you send out a soft throw, you send out a relief. It, it doesn't matter. Right now, he's just killing everything. And I feel like today's game is basically the series. Like, uh, to me, if the Rangers can can win with Andrew Heaney on the mound against Urquidy, uh, then I think that they wrap up the series here in game five. On the other hand, I think if the Astros win today, they're going to keep rolling. What do you think? It feels that way. I mean, it does feel a little bit like the Washington uh, series a few years ago where the road team won every game. Um, there's quite clearly an advantage that Houston feels they have when they're on the road um, and leaving last night and walking back, I don't know if you felt this way or not, but in a strange way, the team that is losing in this series and playing the next two games on the road has the upper hand. And that's just a, that's sort of a a conflict of, of uh, the way we've ever thought about baseball, but it's very evident that Houston this season, for some reason is a road team. I think they're 52 and 30 or something obscene on the road. They're seven and one. At Minute Maid Park, seven and one in eight wow. games. I, I should say, I mean, here in Arlington, Globe Life, seven and one against the home team. They've won seven of eight. So I'm not sure how it feels like Texas has any advantage being at home. We saw this sort of combination during the division series for Bruce Bochy when he went Andrew Heaney and Dane Dunning. Will it work? I don't know. I mean, Christian Javier has got this incredible pulse about him, and he delivered another really good start. There is this perception that the Astros have about themselves. Like, we're built for this. They don't yes. They don't think that Urquidy, because of some of the hiccups during the regular season, is not going to be the great Urquidy in the postseason. They, they believe that. And it's uh, 
it's a really unique way to go into a game on the road down 2-1 to at least on the outside, and they'll never admit it, feel like you're as much a favorite in this thing as any road team's ever been. So, sure, I, I believe that. I, I'm I'm really interested to see how the Rangers can can turn this around. I really am interested. The, the silver lining last night, and you know it, was the idea that they did, they put up a lot of runs. And they were they were like the Astros in games one and two. There were moments they were really close. The yeah. Brantley catch on Adolis Garcia, I, I thought, saved the game. I mean, it felt like it was just about to go Texas's way. And when he made that catch, and then they tack on a run, you're like, well, that's, it's not going to happen. Yeah, and I gotta believe. I got. I mean, I must say, admit to you that when that ball was hit, I was like, "There's no chance he's catching." That. No chance. And he made a beautiful no catch, and you're like, "What happened to? <laughs> Did he <laughs> like go back in time ten years?" I could yeah. not believe that Michael Brandley made that catch in that moment. Um, you know, for me, the the two factors uh, that the, the Astros have over the Rangers manifested and maybe are now fully manifested. One is the depth of pitching staff. And I never forget last year, Aaron Boone told me uh, the story about how he's a good friend in the Phillies uh, organization who called him after the Phillies took a 2-1 lead in last year's World Series. And he was, and his friend was very hopeful, like, oh my gosh, you know, we, maybe we got a chance to win this thing. And Boone, he was like, you guys might not score another run in this series. No. <laughs> And then, of course, the, in the remaining three games, the Phillies scored two runs and the Astros roll through. And you have Jose Arquiti against Andrew Heaney. He's pitched once in three weeks or whatever the numbers are. Um, that's a potential pitfall for them. And the other thing, too, is the experience. And you, got, you and I have been talking about this. Like the Astros, they, it's almost like at this stage, having played in the postseason so much, they need to have their backs against the wall to be fully engaged, have full attention. And now the Rangers got that. Yeah, and be on the road. I mean, they, they literally have this this incredible confidence. It's almost it's not if you build it, they will come. It's if you believe it, it will happen. And they believe it. They believe they are going to win. They believe they are built for this. And you know, I was watching a documentary when I got back to the room last night on the O four Yankees Red Sox series. And it started with this idea that the Red Sox down three zip, if they got one game, and I know Malar is famous for saying, don't let us get one, that they would begin to believe that they could beat them. And it was also, and you remember this, there were some signs even in 03 when they beat the Red Sox, but then lost in the uh, World Series, that you might be able to chip away. Now, are we at that point with the Astros where you can chip away, or right. are they still the invincible group? It certainly feels like on the other side, the Phillies are a team destined to win the whole thing. Right? So it feels like, you know what? Maybe the Astros do what the Yankees did. They get through the LCS, and then you realize they're, they're not invincible, the experience, et cetera, because the Phillies today are playing so well. I don't have a crystal ball, but there are some similarities to, to me what happened uh, with the 4 and then them losing the series in 3 but they do believe it. There is no doubt about it. The experience is real. And there were a lot of good things that happened last night for the Astros beyond Jordan Alvarez. You know, Tucker getting on as often as he did, uh, moving a runner to third. The Pena RBI, as, as innocuous as it may have felt with the ball going through the first and second base hole, he hadn't hit at all. So maybe, look, 
Altuve from every at bat. Well, Altuve could have had four home runs last night. Um, <laughs> you know, the leadoff hitter is is an X factor for me. They have not gotten much out of Marcus Simeon, and he is a really important part of this. Now, um, you know, one of the things that the Astros will tell you about succeeding on the road is they can com- compartmentalize everything. You know, when you're on the road, you're in your hotel. There is generally no family around. You're not right. uh, waking up and taking your kids to school, and they all do that, and they all love that. But if you're looking for singularly focused players, the road provides that, especially when you can see the light at the end of this long season, which is we have a couple of weeks left and we're done. Then I can I can take them to school every day and the dentist and whatever. But if we can just focus on baseball and be on the road – well, that's different. And in Marcus Simeon's case, he has four children at home, including a newborn girl from last <laughs> Thursday. Uh, can you imagine what the home is like? Um, you know, he, I know how much he loves it, and it's bedlam. But if you're looking for, for rest and quiet and all that, as much as your incredible wife is trying to provide you with that and all the help you have, he's a family guy. He wants to be around him. So I'm not saying that's the reason but when you are home, it's different. And he was the one who even said when they were in Houston, I got a good night's sleep. I don't know what's, you know, if that's happening, but they need Simeon to get on base and to be the leadoff hitter that he has been all year. And that hasn't happened in this series. Uh, quick thoughts on three different players. One, and I agree with you about Kyle Tucker. Like, you know, we asked, we were talking to Dusty Baker before the game about how quickly, you know, Tucker could snap back in. Uh, and he said it could happen immediately. One pitch, one at bat, one yep, play. Yep. It felt like that that may have happened last night. Would you agree? Yeah, it may have. I I, I don't know. I mean, I, some of the swings didn't still look great, uh, but when he needed to move the runner to third, he did that. He walked, I think, three times in the game. I'm not I – don't, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I know that you feel better about getting on base three times than if you were, were 0 for 4 and never got on. So, yeah, I think that's – I think there was a positive step. Let's say that. Beginning of the series, I wrote a piece about some of the big question evaluators had about, uh, you know, the matchups in both leagues. And one of the questions was, how do you deal with Corey Seager because he was that hot? Isn't yeah. it incredible the nature of the postseason that three days later we're like, what is wrong with Corey Seager? You talk right. about someone whose whose aggressiveness seems to be working yeah. against him now. Yeah, last night a couple of first pitch swings and pop ups when they needed uh, base runners and runs. Um, I don't think you change the stripes on the tiger. I, I think that's who he is. I think yep. you you take the good with the uh, with the this this current sort of down period, and he could come out tonight and hit two home runs. Um, the people in the Rangers clubhouse speak reverentially about Corey Seager, about his preparation, about his nature of being built for the postseason. But yeah, they're they're demoralizing and they they deflating the at bats. You know, even after Simeon got on, and here he comes, and the crowd's into it, and one pitch pop out left field, and it's ugh, it didn't work. So it, it it is a little bit deflating. But I'll I'll take Corey Seager on my team 365 days out of a year. Yeah, no doubt about it. Max Scherzer, it was an ugly outing. Five runs allowed in four innings. Uh, he could not land his slider. His slider yeah. was just not there. He did have an excellent fastball, 95 miles per hour, first yeah. pitch of the game. He had velocity. He had a good curveball. I kind of wonder if with the benefit of 2020 hindsight, if he might think, you know what, I should have just stuck with that and tried to work with those two as opposed to constantly trying to find that slider, which betrayed him over and over again. 
Um, it's possible that he's going to pitch three more times in this postseason. The Rangers, if they get to a game seven, he would get the ball then, you know, and then uh, he could pitch again in the World Series. And, and look, obviously, if you're Max, you leave that game last night feeling like, great, you know, the Rangers lose for the first time and it's in Max's start and his struggles were the biggest reason why. But I would say this. If I'm Max and I'm the Rangers, I'm leaving the ballpark, and I could hear this in Bruce Bochy's voice last night, like, hey, we, we know it's in there. Like, he's healthy. Yeah. He has stuff. He's got stuff <laughs> yep. to work with. And the big concern was whether or not he was healthy. Yeah, I, I would leave that. Um, perhaps it was – it just felt like maybe it was too soon. But absolutely, there was evidence that Max Scherzer didn't leave. Today is an important day, how you feel in and all that. Um, the curveball was very good. The fastball was good. And let's not forget the first run scored on a ball that Jonah Heim blocks a thousand times. Um, and yeah. that kind of got the wheels, you know, moving when he threw a pitch in the dirt. It got away. You could see the frustration on Heim. It was one zip and then it was three zip right away after that with a single. Um, you know, and, and it's the Astros, you know, on the road. Um, so that there were a lot of factors uh, that were that were working, I think, against Scherzer are staying in that game very long, the least of which is he hasn't pitched in so long. That's that's not a four-day layoff or a 10-day layoff. It was 30-plus days. Really difficult. I, I would not be discouraged by what happened, but it was, you're right, in the sense of things have been going really well. You reintroduce Scherzer and the team loses, and now you'll see, like, was that the critical game in this series that, that sent it back in Houston's favor? Your, the fastball velocity was good. The curveball was really good. Um, and I think the fact that you were dealing with an Astro team that felt great about being on the road and in this ballpark, I'm not I'm not sure that Evaldi, you know, wins last night. I don't know. So I it wasn't I wouldn't put it on Scherzer, but he was the guy. He's on the mound. It, it falls on his shoulders. I'm sure he'd tell you that. And he'd be the first one to tell you he needs to make adjustments going forward. And he said, when I asked that question after the game, I know what I need to do. Like he, yeah. you could already see he's beginning to spin ahead and, and feeling like he's got the, the changes that he has in mind already uh, yeah. for his next start. If in fact, he gets the ball again, Diamondbacks and Phillies pick up again today. <laughs> Phillies just feel like this uh, unstoppable force. Um, yeah. you know, I, I've said earlier in the week that uh, it felt like watching heavyweight against the flyweight, and you just can't imagine a path for the Diamondbacks here. Uh, what, what do you make of the Phillies right now, Carl? Um, yeah, an immovable object. Um, I, I've, and you've had you know, him two rounds, by the way. We know you, you know yeah. you were the play-by-play man on the wild card series against the the Marlins, and then you did Braves and Phillies. Yeah, and it, it's just it's just the depth, and you know we've talked we talked about that all regular season with the Braves. We talked about that prior to Game Three with the Rangers. The depth of the lineup, and Leody Tavares has had a very good series. He's the nine hole hitter. There is nobody in the Philadelphia Phillies lineup right now that doesn't feel like they're going to hit a home run when they come to the plate. Everybody's hitting balls over the wall. Every single player. Um, Kyle Schwarber continues to be the greatest enigma in the history of Major League Baseball with his inability to hit things other than homers. It is amazing. Bryce Harper might be the most built-for-the-postseason player I've ever seen. I mean, ever. Um, Bryson Stott, great. Alec Bohm looks like Brooks Robinson. Uh, Rojas catches everything. The outfielders are hitting. The infielders are hitting. Castellanos really struggled. Remember, he really struggled when he signed that big deal. He looks more comfortable now. 
uh, then, you know, then, then Rick Sutcliffe did when we called him from the restaurant the other day and he was on his couch. He, he looks more comfortable than that. So, uh, they, they, there doesn't appear to be a, a wrinkle there since they lost in the world series. It feels like they've been single-minded in their determination to get there. And it would be better for them. I'm sure if they could, they could exact revenge against the Astros they don't particularly care, but it would be something that would be fitting in this destruction of uh, Major League Baseball in the postseason by the Philadelphia Phillies. And Ranger Suarez has his great competitive arrogance. You know, you know that he's going to handle the moment. He'll be great. And I love JT Real Muto's description because he's a catcher who spends his days preparing for the next day's game and thinking about the opposing lineup for the next game. And I love his description of how he, he said he knows – that the opposing pitcher and the opposing catcher are spending the night before thinking, oh, my God, what are we going to do with Schwarber? Like right off the bat, from the <laughs> first pitch, there's a threat that it's going to be one nothing because Schwarber is that dangerous, and, and there's nothing that eases that anxiety with the players who hit behind him. It starts right. with Schwarber, and everybody else is dangerous. Before you go, uh, I want to ask you the same question I've asked others in the podcast earlier this week. Uh, tell me about your reaction when you heard that Kim Ang essentially been forced out of her job with the Marlins. Yeah, so I, uh, you know, I had the Marlins and the Phillies in the wild card and got a chance to spend some some pretty good time with Kim um, prior to games, just talking about her background, what she played, where she went to school, um, why, in fact, all of that, uh, you know, conspired for her to get into Major League Baseball and end up in the front office. She's really sharp. She had a vision. I think other people in that organization have had visions. There's something within that organization that is holding it back. And I don't know if it's ownership. I don't know if it's somebody else within that organization. Uh, Jeter certainly made the same illusion. Kim Ng, you know, when they just come out and say, I don't know that we are aligned in our, in our direction that we see this moving forward. I feel terrible because the Kim Ng Skip Schumacher dynamic seemed to be as good as a manager front office uh, as you can get. And if I'm looking for an executive and there are a bunch of teams looking for one right now, that relationship that she had with her manager and we, you know, we got into an analytics conversation about what is the role of the front office when it comes to that. And as she said, do you think that Craig, that uh, Skip Schumacher is doing anything that would not put ourselves in the best position possible in his mind? Do you think he is, in fact, not trying to win every game or doing things he doesn't think is going to work? That's why you have a manager. You've got to trust them. And her trust in Schumacher was implicit and it was convicted. And boy, if I was a manager or if I was an owner, I'd want somebody like that because she understands team and I don't understand why in the world she's not there. Miami screwed that up. Yeah, they blew it. And I you know, wrote in a piece yesterday about the belief that essentially Bruce Sherman was upset with Derek Jeter and his tenure there. And then one by one, he's moved on from the Jeter people and uh, the, you know, the people that Derek brought in and Kim Ang was one of those. Uh, and it seems like he made up his mind earlier this year that he was going to move on. It makes no sense. You know Boston. I know Boston. You know, we talked during Heinblum's tenure with the team that it, it never felt like his sense of urgency matched the market. I would say this. Kim's sense of urgency, and she demonstrated that this year, would be perfect for Boston. And I think, you know, I know that she and Alex Core, their manager, know each other well. 
That's someone, if I'm the Red Sox leadership, I'm talking to. Yeah, I, I've, I've read, you know, a few uh, things about Craig Breslow and that he's sort of in advanced conversations with them for that uh, top spot. I think you have to do due diligence and interview Kim. I, I, I just do. I don't know why if somebody like that is out there as a quote-unquote free agent and assuming she wants to continue this line of work, well, then I think you have to at least have the conversation and try to see if she's interested and there's a fit there for sure. Um, yeah, she, she's, she's uber competitive. That's for sure. But if, uh, if Sherman in Miami is alienating Jeter, uh, I don't know if there's a player that I would have associated since I've been covering the sport more with winning. And I think that's the goal here is to win and win World Series. And they did, to, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> to, right. to move Jeter out, it makes no sense. And to move, you know, to me, it's not only moving Kim, it's you now remove that great equation between Schumacher and Ng. And let's see how long Schumacher stays there because he's going to be in demand. And if they were able to continue to build and build and build with Kim Ng and Skip Schumacher and the organization, maybe you hang on to him. But I would think that this undermines in some ways uh, his desire to be part of this. He's got to look around and think, what the hell's going on? We had such a good thing going. We got to the playoffs. We have great pitching. We got young players and she's leaving. But that, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. Schumacher's on a two year contract, which means he's only got one year left and then he can be a free agent next fall. Uh, Craig Breslow, uh, you know, by all accounts, super bright, you know, I mean, someone who is very highly uh, regarded yep. within baseball circles. You bring him in, you're dealing with the same thing that you dealt with with Heim to some degree in that it's a first time, the first time for him in the big chair. And Kim has done that, which is part of the reason why I'm with you. I, I think it's worth at least a conversation. Yep. All right, Ravi, crush it out there. Uh, I, I think you got to put Tim up make sure that he's the guy who tees off first. Okay. Can you do that? Cause I want to hear that. I will. I'll take my phone out too. I'll record that. Excellent. Thanks Ravi. All right. See you guys. Carl mentioned in our conversation, he caught up with Chris Young, general manager of the Texas Rangers for ESPN radio. Give a listen to the interview. Frank, you're here with Chris Young, the architect of this. Uh, what, what led you to leave major league baseball to come here to do this? Well, ultimately, I was uh, born and raised here in Dallas. I grew up a, a longtime Rangers fan. Um, I played for the Rangers. I feel like I've been as connected to this organization as anybody. And um, the opportunity to come back here and help build a winning franchise and lead this team to a place it's never been uh, was really as much as I could ask for professionally and was a big uh, influence on my decision. All right. So there's a lot of moves you made. Are there a few that stand out as sort of foundation pieces that you knew you needed to have? to make this work this quickly? Well, I, I think I, you have to start by saying a lot of this was set up before I came on board. I mean, John Daniels and Ray Davis, our owner, uh, did a tremendous job of setting this uh, rebuild in place. And um, I came in at a point at which we were uh, kind of starting the, to climb out of it. And um, it started with um, some foundational elements of uh, signing free agents like Corey and Marcus uh, to start up the middle. Um, there were a number of uh, players that were in our system from a player development standpoint um, that are contributing now. Uh, 
there were a number of trades that were in the process uh, when I came on board and then um, just try to continue that path, that vision, uh, and uh, continue making good decisions. And, um, you know, and certainly we're happy with where we are at this point. What type of assurances did you need to know that you were going to be able to do what you wanted to, meaning the owner saying, yes, you have X amount of dollars? Yeah, that's been huge. The the financial uh, commitment, the resources that ownership has provided, not only in terms of player payroll, but also in some of the infrastructure and the upgrades that we've been able to make beneath the surface in terms of retaining our um, really good employees, um, investing in um, our R&D department and uh, scouting department, stuff like that. It's very important in terms of uh, building a healthy franchise. And so uh, ownership has been tremendous in terms of their commitment and um, and then supporting us with, uh, obviously, the player moves that we've made and the choices we've made in terms of signing guys like uh, Corey and Marcus right. and Jacob DeGrom and Nathan Avaldi and so many others that have contributed to where we are. As a former pitcher, you know there are ups and downs. DeGrom down. How excited are you to see Scherzer this evening? Uh, getting Max back is so great. I'm just so excited and uh, really thankful to Max. Um, you know, when he got hurt, we weren't sure how likely it would it was that he would make it back. And he's worked his butt off to get back out there tonight in hopes of being back for this moment. And uh, I just can't say enough about the person, the character, uh, how hard he's worked to get back out there. And I can't wait to watch him. And lastly, what about the community? Like, what does the Rangers' success mean to, to your town? Look, when I moved back here a few years ago, um, after working at MLB, I came back to a town that you'd see some Rangers hats, but you wouldn't see kids wearing um, the Texas tee with pride. And uh, now to walk around and see everybody wearing Rangers gear and supporting this team and getting behind it and see the excitement, the enthusiasm, it's the next generation of Rangers baseball and our fans are behind us. And it's so fun to see these fans who've waited a long time for winning baseball uh, celebrating this. And I know that this building is going to be loud and excited tonight and uh, I can't wait to watch it. I can see how excited you are. Thanks. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. This is The Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter-producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how you doing on this two-game Thursday? You get two games today, two League Championship Series games. I know. I'm so excited. As I said, uh, was it last week? I don't even remember, but we only have a few of these left. We have to save for them, so I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, so my question to you is, you know Bruce Bochy, you know his tendencies, you know what Jordan Alvarez is doing. Uh, moving forward, starting today, what do you think Bochy's going to do with Jordan Alvarez, given how it just feels like he's crushing anything thrown to him? Oh, my goodness. I mean, this is the internal question, right? No manager wants to be the guy to make it clear then you were completely pitching around a guy. And if you're going to choose a guy to pitch around in every single way possible, I would absolutely choose Jordan Alvarez right now. I mean, he is having an incredible postseason. I was talking yesterday about the best postseason hitters of the last 25 years or so. And I think that's probably David Ortiz right now. But by the end of this month, we may be saying that's your dumb. And I think he's making a really, really good case for it. So, I mean, I wouldn't pitch him, but luckily I don't have to make that decision. So I was telling Carl, uh, Sarah, this morning I got up thinking about this question. Um, and I went back because we talked about giving him the Barry Bonds treatment is the way that it's you know uh, portrayed and the way that it's talked about. 
And so I just went back to that time when uh, when Bonds was at his apex, 2004, and he drew, what, 230 walks. And more than half of them were intentional walks and went through. And, of course, he was playing with the Giants. And one of the division rivals were the San Diego Padres, managed by Bruce Bochy. And what's really interesting is that the manager who walked him less than any other intentionally was Bruce Bochy. So it feels like that that's something that like he doesn't like to do instinctively. You could feel that. I love that. I mean, I'm smiling as you tell me that. That is a manager who is up to the challenge, does not want to be the one to say, oh, yeah, we won, but we, you know, worked around him. So we'll see how that works. I mean, I think it's all really dependent on matchups, who's in the game, which starting pitchers they're using when they get back to Evaldi and Montgomery and how comfortable they are with guys like Andrew Heaney and then getting into the bullpen. But I love that context. That's awesome. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is 1.615. So speaking of Jordan, that is his OPS so far this postseason. That is the fifth highest OPS by any player in his first seven games of a single postseason with a minimum of 30 playing appearances. The guys ahead of him, 07, Dave Ortiz, 04, Carlos Beltran, 08, Manny Ramirez, and 1999, Nomar Garcia Parra. So he is top five all time in OPS through seven games. Number two. Number two is 071. That is Christian Javier's opponent batting average as a starter in the postseason. He has made four starts now. As we know, he didn't allow a hit in one of those last postseason. And last night was the first time in those four starts he allowed more than one hit in any of them. He also allowed a run for the first time as a starter. But 071 is the lowest opponent batting average in any four starts, man, in postseason history. And he has done it in his first four starts in the postseason. Next on the list is 1997, to one Mike Messina at 104. So it's not like it's even super close. Like, oh, he's a 100. Messina gave up maybe two more hits, what have you. That's a decent lead there. And number one. Number one is seven. So even though the Rangers lost last night, they did not tie the Royals for the longest win streak to start a postseason. They still won seven of their first eight games, which the Phillies also did. Now, that's been possible since 1969 when the postseason opened up with the LCS. Prior that, if you won seven, you would won World Series and a half, basically. But each of those teams won seven of their first eight this postseason. This is the first time, so first time since 1969 
that two teams have won at least seven of their first eight games in a single postseason. And I think that speaks to the dominance we've seen. Obviously, we have a series now with the Astros winning that game with your Dom being so great, as we talked about. But it really is a testament to how dominant those two teams have been. Before you go, Sarah, I want to give you a, or ask you about Max Scherzer's performance last night and, and, and looking forward, because I must say, you know, it was an ugly pitching line, four innings, five runs allowed. You and I were texting about his slider, which he wasn't getting any kind of production on last night. Uh, Bruce Bochy was asked questions after the game. Did he regret starting Scherzer? I must say, I kind of walked away from that. Uh, if I'm in the Rangers shoes, I'm actually feeling encouraged. Like for him to come out of the gate throwing 95, 94, 93, uh, uh, his curveball was excellent. I just kind of wonder if it was some of the choices he made with his pitch selection. And I'm looking forward to sort of exploring that later today. If I'm the Rangers, I'm feeling like, you know what? Max Scherzer might be a factor moving forward. What do you think? Are you have more of a dim view of what he did? No, I don't. I mean, I think that's a really good way to put it because – this is the guy who had not pinched in a really long time. We talked yesterday about the fact that he didn't know what to expect. He had never been in this situation. So obviously, and he said in the post, in the uh, post game, like, this is the postseason. That isn't good enough. But taking a sort of broader view of it, that's the rehab start, right? You don't want your rehab start to come in game three of the ALCS up to him. You certainly don't want to come on that stage. But my biggest takeaways were the number of pitches he was able to throw and that fastball in the first inning looking really good Vila-wise. The fact that he came out there, that he didn't come out due to injury, he was able to make it through the outing certainly means that he's okay overall. And I think saying a factor moving forward is a perfect way to put it. I wonder if we could see him in a different kind of role. I know that hasn't usually been the same. Though he did get the save in the uh, yeah in the series against the Giants. Now that I think of it, but I wonder if he might sort of acknowledging where he's at, be able to be leveraged in a different way. But either way, I mean the fact that he came out. And he didn't leave with the trainer, I think, is the biggest thing the Rangers had to see. And that's certainly a checkmark and the good call. All right, Sarah. Good to talk with you. Thanks for doing this. And we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks so much for having me, Lester. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, 
Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code BASEBALL. Download the app or visit VividSeats.com today. That's VividSeats.com today, code BASEBALL. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Jessica Mendoza is an analyst for ESPN, and this week, Jess, you are on the show Get Up Every Day, talking baseball. How you doing? <laughs> I, I'm having way too much fun, Buster, because they're giving me baseball bats and mallets, and I'm annihilating, like, baby helmets. And yeah, well, we have just, to describe honestly, what happened. We have to describe what happened. So the way they make the picks on Get Up often is to put a – and that's football is their focus uh, – is they put a football helmet down and to make a pick – uh, the person who's uh, doing the prognostication has to smash the helmet of the team that he thinks is going to lose. So they kind of improvise something for you today in advance of the yes. Astros and the Rangers and the Phillies and the Diamondbacks. I saw a replay of this and you hit it so hard in knocking out the Rangers today and knocking out the Diamondbacks that you knock the Rangers helmet up into the curtains like on the other side of the, the, the studio. And Damian Woody, I think, needs to be taken to the hospital because of the shrapnel that resulted from your swing in the mallet. It was the, the best, though, is like I really enjoyed it. Like, I was like, I've never actually held a mallet before. Like, I didn't even understand. And oh my goodness, like when you can full swing, like slap that thing down on a baby helmet, it was, it was really fun. Um, a little too much fun, probably. But yeah, no, Damian Woody, just for everyone to know, he's not been hospitalized. He's going to be okay. <laughs> it was off his bicep. <laughs> he's normally smashing the helmets and hitting off other people. Um, so it was it was kind of fun. Dan Orlowski also tossed me uh, one of the football helmets and I hit it with a bat. So that was anytime you can get baseball, softball into a football segment is a win. Uh, and I'd say a lot of times when when I've seen that and they have like the safety goggles, I'm like, yeah, come on, like let, let's not make this too much, uh, too much. But when you were swinging that mallet, and you know uh, that that was like, yeah, safety goggles would be appropriate given where uh, where that was going. Um, yeah, so that that was a lot of fun. It looked like you're having a blast there. Uh, you smashed the Diamondbacks helmet. How come? I mean, the Phillies are been so obviously dominant in the series already, and it feels like an obvious choice. But you also look at pitching matchup, and you've got Ranger Suarez going against Brandon yep. Fott. And even though Fott looked good in his last start, I mean, he's he's not the dude that's going to be able to quiet the offense. Um, you know, especially when you you look at you know what the Phillies have done, and honestly, against great pitching. I mean, what they have shown against Zach Gallen, I love the approach knowing he's going to try to get an account. Merrill Kelly, a guy that lives on the edges, them really waiting him out more to get him more over the plate. So then you go from ace one, ace two, and now you have Brandon Fott and nothing against Fott, but he has more contact. He's less swing and miss. I mean, he's just trying to kind of hit off the end of the bat, more soft contact. And the Phillies just don't do soft contact. So I think it's definitely advantage Phillies. And it does feel like more than any baseball series that I think I've ever covered where it feels like that the dime because the Phillies are so dominant and they have so much experience. It does feel like to a certain degree that the Diamondbacks are trying to talk their way into this a little bit like Zach Gallen saying, yeah, the WBC crowd with the Venezuela, that that was probably just as loud as Philadelphia and Tori Lovello saying that he expects the crowd in Arizona 
you know, to be as loud as it was in Citizens Bank Park. And, uh, you know, Tory talking up yesterday saying, hey, we're in the final four for a reason. It, it feels like that the, the Diamondbacks, they need to get a lead early in this game. Well, look at how they beat the Dodgers. I mean, that's exactly what they did. You know, they scored nine runs in the first inning for games one and game two. And I know that feels like a year ago, but I mean, it was really just, you know, nine days ago that Clayton Kershaw came out in the first inning because the Diamondbacks put on a serious show when it came to offensive prowess. We've talked so much about the Diamondbacks and how athletic, you know, they're kind of almost old school, short game speed, all the different things that they can do to score runs. But the slug has really shown up in October that's the kind of offense that they're going to need to showcase. I'm not looking at high pitching quality to happen, you know, in these next few games. I think with the Diamondbacks, they've got to remember what they did just a week ago against one of the best teams in baseball. I loved, I don't know if you heard JT Real Muto's uh, description of what the, the sort of the mental challenge that the opposing pitchers and the catcher, uh, Gabriel Moreno, ha- have, uh, you know, going into every game against the Phillies. He said he knows that all they're thinking about overnight is Kyle Schwarber, like right out of the gate, knowing that they're going to be under pressure right away. And you, you know, just, you saw Kyle Schwarber when he was playing in college. You see him in the big yeah. leagues now. I, I mean, he steps into the box as a threat. It's like there's a runner in scoring position right from the get go. And that seems to wear on opposing teams. Well, that's what I love about this, like kind of, you know, untypical leadoff batter. For that reason that you just said, the whole idea that you need to have someone that's like more contact base, you know, get get on base speed. That's like your your number one hitter every time to start a game. But to have Kyle Schwarber pitch one, you better be freaking perfect. How many times do you hear starting pitchers in environments in the postseason say, I just need to get a few pitches under my belt, a few hitters under my belt to be able to kind of settle in and relax. The Phillies don't allow you to do that. And as much as Bryce Harper is the face of the Phillies, Kyle Schwarber, without a doubt, is a heartbeat. You know this. In the clubhouse, how much he's the leader. So to have not just the bat and the threat, but also the leadership of kind of who he is, be able to lead this team figuratively, literally at the top of your lineup. So this isn't uh, as bold a statement as it might sound like uh, because it's a seven-game series. So, you know, one game represents so much of a swing. I really think the uh, the winner of the Astros and Rangers series is the team that wins tonight because I think if the Rangers can find a way to win with Andrew Heaney on the mound against Jose Urquidy, that they'll finish it off here. And as I mentioned to Carl, though, if the if the Astros win tonight, I think it's going to be tough for the Rangers to, uh, you know, to take two of the last three, especially back in Houston. What do you think? I, I, I mean, I disagree in the sense that I, I do think the Astros are going to win tonight, but I do think the Rangers then, like, it almost switches the advantage. And I know so much has been about the Astros at home is on the road, but I think when we go back to Houston, there is something real there. And I think the Rangers – feast off of that I think is going to be advanced Rangers whatever happens tonight even if the Rangers lose I think they know let's get back to their home and we'll be even better if you're Bruce Bochy how are you handling Jordan Alvarez tonight given how it feels like he's just crushing everything well and Buster I think the biggest thing that I've seen with Jordan is yes he's had six home runs really seven one got taken away from Tavares, but it isn't even the power number. He can absolutely annihilate a baseball, but it was actually the 2-2 pitch with two outs where he showed some versatility, being able to just get a pitch on the hands and find grass. Like that to me, if I'm Bruce Bochy, is like, okay, we actually beat him 
on that. Cause one of the things they're always trying to do with him is get in on his hands, get him up and in and to have, see him with two strikes really change his swing to make sure he's putting the ball in play and not the swing and miss. Now it's like, there isn't a spot anymore. There is not because normally with Jordan Alvarez, yes, he can absolutely annihilate a baseball, but there is still some swing and miss. He showed that there is a swing and miss that when he gets two strikes, he has the ability to find grass. So to me, if I'm Bochi, don't throw it to him. Like literally there's a zone that's outside of that box. And that's the zone that you throw Jordan Alvarez. Last one. We got news earlier this week that, uh, that Kim Ang is essentially pushed out of her job with the Marlins. Uh, when you heard this news, what did you think? Well, I was, first of all, heartbroken. I mean, you have 30 teams in baseball. You have only one that has chosen one of the best people, not women, to be able to lead an organization and seeing what she has done to get the Marlins back into the postseason this year. And then as I dug further into it, it wasn't heartbreak. It was, what the heck? And honestly, like, proud of Kim Ng for walking. I think a lot of GMs would have said, you know what, I'll take the extra year that I'm guaranteed. I will take that contract. I will stay because I am invested in this team. But to know, and Kim Ng, I give her so much credit to say, no, 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 you're going to bring someone in to tell me what to do, to run the team that I have now taken over and been successful with? No, I will find an organization that believes in me and knows that this is a team that I am leading and not someone else to come in and oversee it. So it told me a lot about Kim. It, it made me sad to know that we don't have hardly any women in this game that are doing it the way that she is doing it. And we haven't had those opportunities. So to know that she is no longer in that position, but shoot, she is a free agent now and anyone's going to pick her up. But I am also proud of the fact that she would rather walk from a position that is going to bring someone else to oversee her. Yeah, and it's a little late. That, you know, the Red Sox are looking for head of baseball operations. They haven't officially hired someone yet. Um, there, there are not a lot of those spots open, but I think in the next year, you know, talking with other executives, she's going to get another shot within a year to be the person sitting in the big chair. There are plenty of, you know, number two general manager below the person who's the head of baseball operations available. But I think Kim at this point's in a, in a great position to wait for that spot to open up head of baseball ops. Buster, she was ready for that position 15 years ago and was never given the opportunity. So that's where I'm like, she finally got it way late in the game, but that's why she's going to wait to always have that position because ultimately that's what she deserves. All right. Jess, thanks for doing this. And, uh, you know, don't injure your co-hosts, okay? <laughs> you know, the other people on shows, you got to stop doing that, you know, firing well, got, all over the studio. I've got Damian Woody right here. And, like, he is alive and well. He has to sit down because he's a little bit damaged. Now, are you guys in an emergency she's room someplace? She's trying to take me out. <laughs> she's trying Damian, to take what? me out, brother. <laughs> Damian, I, I mean, were you shocked? Like, when it came flying up, you, you probably shocked? didn't even see it. Uh, no. Why would I be shocked at the Babe Ruth of, of softball? <laughs> no, not at all. That's so yeah, funny no. you say that, David. Whenever I get asked well. about Jess, whenever uh, friends ask about Jess and they're, uh, you know, and they haven't heard of her, I say, well, she's the Babe Ruth of softball. And that's exactly the description that I use. And they're like, okay, we got it. And that was, it certainly was demonstrated in the studio today, Jess. Yeah, no, it was fun. It was fun. I'm just glad Damien's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. All right. Thank you. 
Bleacher Tweets. All right, Buster, it is time for some Bleacher Tweets. Everybody out there, don't forget, use the hashtag Bleacher Tweets, get your Bleacher Tweets in here, and Buster will respond to them. First one is from Brian Simpson, who writes, hearing lots of trade rumors for Juan Soto, what's the likelihood that he gets traded? Also, my Padres gave up a lot of prospects to get him. If we do trade him, will we get a similar package back? Uh, there was uh, a report that the Padres are going to try to cut their payroll from, what, $280, $290 million down to $200 million this winter. Uh, if that's true, if that's what their goal is in the end, there's no way they can keep Juan Soto because they have Manny Machado under a huge contract. They have Xander Bogarts under a huge contract. You know, Jake Cronenworth, Hugh Darvish, uh, Joe Musgrove. They have all these guys signed a whopper contracts. You cannot make that work unless you trade Juan Soto, who's a year away from free agency. And no, they're not going to get anything close in return. Uh, if, in fact, they wind up trading, it'll be like 50 cents on the dollar compared to his value when they acquired him, which makes sense because he's been with them for a year and a half. As they say, he's a year from free agency. Next one's from Corey. Simple tweet. Is Max Scherzer's time as an elite starter over? Um, I'm not ready to say no on that because the guy came out throwing 95 miles an hour. So it's not like. You know, we're looking at a starting pitcher who's down at 87 miles per hour and he has no bullets. I think he clearly needs to find some adjustment on that slider. He's capable of doing that. So I'm not ready to slam that door totally because the stuff is still there. Next one's from Parker Owens, who tweets in, Nolan Arenado's streak of 10 consecutive gold gloves at third base is over as he's not a finalist this season. If Brooks Robinson is the best defensive third baseman of all time, where is Arenado on your list? Yeah, and I think uh, Ken Caminiti would be in that conversation. I think Scott Rowland would be in that conversation. He's tremendous. Matt Chapman, who is, as you know, among Nolan's uh, high school teammate. You know, he's an excellent third baseman. Man, Adrian Beltre, very underrated as a third baseman. He was uh, more unconventional looking. You know, I didn't play it. But, you know, I think Nolan, if he's not number one, uh, and I, you know, Brooks Robinson is going to ha always have the most gold gloves at that position. Then for me, he would probably be number two. But it, it would be a it would be a coin flip between he and Brooks Robinson. That good. That's impressive. Last one is for me at Dan Stanzik. Oh, last offseason, the, the Blue Jays focused on improving their defense, signing Kevin Kiermaier, trading for Dalton Varsho. This offseason, it seems like the focus is going to be on supplementing a struggling offense. They were 14th in runs this season after being top five the previous two seasons. What names out there, other than their own free agents, do you foresee them targeting? Well, it depends on what they do with their own guys. Like, I, I personally think the first question, as they have conversations at baseball ops, is what are we going to do with Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? Nearing free agency, getting closer. He had a down year. Uh, to me, if it's a little bit like the Mets conversation about Pete Alonso. If you do not think you're going to sign him to a big contract, this is the winner. You got to trade him. And if you move him out, it's going to free up a bunch of money. Um, and, and, you know, my gut instinct, that's is the direction they're going to go. I don't see them signing Vlad Jr. to a long term contract. We'll see where that goes. I mean, he's talked about wanting to stay there. But, you know, as a Jays fan, this year was such a mess. Weird. And I think there was a lot of questions about sort of, you know, why hasn't he gotten better? Trading him seems crazy, but you're right. If you want to maximize the value, it seems seems unfathomable. But uh, if you are a fan of a team, like I'm a fan of the Blue Jays, and you want a question answered, use hashtag Bleacher Tweets, send them in, and Buster will answer them.
Yeah, so I I saw Hazel May from afar yesterday, who, as you know, is a Blue Jays sideline reporter. Uh, we're going to talk to her today and try to get a feel, a better feel for what the Blue Jays are going to be moving forward. It's going to be a fascinating offseason with them, with all the questions about, you know, the, the club culture and their offense and the whole thing. So we'll see. All right, that's it for today. My thanks to Ravi, Sarah, Jess, Dan, Parker, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.